Christmas. Grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew, the 26th chapter, and we'll get there in a minute. Um, it is Christmas season, and so obviously we're celebrating the birth of our Messiah, the Christ Jesus, the fact that he came to earth. Aren't we appreciative of that? And uh, so we're celebrating that. <clears throat> also, we're in a series um, that we're calling Redeemed, um, where we're looking at the redemptive work of Christ and what all he's done for, for us. And so um, we're going to cover those two subjects or, or weave those two events into today's message, including communion. Because this, this is the last Sunday that we'll be gathering as a church in the year 2021, we want to end with taking communion together. So hopefully on your way in, you receive your communion elements. If you did not, if you'll kind of wave at one of our ushers, they'll uh, make sure that they, uh, so ushers maybe take a look around and see if there's a, uh, maybe make a couple laps. So if you don't have communion elements, you can grab those and just hold on to them because we'll take communion together as a body toward the end of my message. So three things we're going to accomplish today. We're going to stay on track with our Redeem series. We're going to celebrate Christmas and then we're going to take communion together. Our text this morning is going to be out of Matthew, the 26th verse, or 26th chapter. And what we find here is this is toward the end of Jesus's ministry. He is in the upper room with his, um, with his disciples and they are sharing a meal together. Remember that this is a Passover meal. So there's a lot going on here, a lot more than we from our um, uh, Western mindset tend to uh, understand what all's happening, but a, but a lot's going on in this event. And so... Um, we pick up our reading in the 28th verse, um, or I'm sorry, in the 26th verse here in Matthew chapter 26. Here's what it says. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In this passage, we see Jesus institute what we um, as a church celebrate on many occasions throughout the year. It has several different labels. Um, you may have heard it labeled or titled communion, so that's certainly a valid label. Uh, you also hear it at partaking of the Lord's Supper, um, depending on if you're from another uh, religious background, you may have heard it as the Eucharist. Or, so there's several different titles, but what happens is Jesus is sitting here having this meal. Bible said that he took two elements. There's two main elements where communion or the Lord's Supper is concerned. There's two main elements. There's bread and there's wine. And in today's message, what I want to do is I want to show you these two elements and give you a little more clarity, a little more understanding as to what they are and what they symbolize and the power behind it. Here's my, my, my hope is that but when we take communion together as a church toward the end of this service, I pray that we would do so with a new level of value and commitment and passion before our God as he gives us understanding and revelation as to what it means to, as a body, as a congregation, to, ch to share in the Lord's Supper. So this is what we're aiming for today. So there are two main elements. First of all, let's begin by looking at the cup, okay? 
So Bible said that, that Jesus took of a cup and it had wine in it. Another word for that would be fruit of the vine. So some kind of uh, grape juice, whether fermented or not is disputable, but he, he had a cup with grape juice in it. And what he says to us in our text is that this is, is the blood. This is, this is my blood. So this cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus. Now, it's interesting because when you find out where, where um, grape juice come from, where wine or fruit of the vine comes from, it comes from this. It comes from the crushing of grapes. And again, there's so much beauty. I just encourage you that there's, there's nothing random in the word of God. It is so intricate and so interlaced. And, and I've heard it ex explained as a, a beautiful tapestry. You know, you look at a, a tapestry with embroiderment on it and, and the top of it, you can see the pattern and it's so beautiful. But if you look underneath, it's all intertwined. It's all woven together. The word of God is so intertwined. And there's so much beauty in it. And so the very fact that the cup that he was holding had something in it that came from the crushing of grapes. And the reason this is so symbolic is because we know that very soon after this passage, we know that Jesus was crushed. And the blood of the covenant came out of the crushing of our savior. In the same way that those grapes were crushed, his body was crushed. And the Bible tells us also in the book of Leviticus that a scripture that says the life is in the blood. So, so the blood is the life of the body. And so we see this beautiful symbolism. I mean, Jesus, he's just catching them in a moment. They're having a meal together and they're just, they're just buddies being together. But in that moment, he begins to bring out revelation and bring out symbolism and, and handing things to them that I don't believe they, under, they fully understood. But he holds this cup up symbolizing the fact that that grapes are crushed and his his body was soon to be crushed and you know something very significant about about the blood of Jesus you know during this time of the the year we're celebrating Christmas we're celebrating the fact that Messiah came to be with us and again I want to say to you in the accounts and and the way that that happened that nothing random happened you know we all know that, ver that Mary was a virgin, the Virgin Mary. We say the Virgin Mary, and we say it so often, we think maybe that was just by happenstance that, that Mary happened to be a virgin. But I want you to know, it wasn't an accident that Mary was a virgin. It was, first of all, it was the fulfilling of prophecy because it was prophesied that Messiah would come through a virgin. But there was several other things uh, important about Mary's moral position. First of all, being a virgin speaks of purity. And, that, and that if, if the son of God, if, if, if God incarnate was gonna come to earth, he had to come in purity. And I wanna say to you just a little side note, um, no condemnation on this, but our culture has said that virginity has no value. But I just believe that God's going to want to resurrect in his church the value in virginity, the value in purity. And I want to say to you, young people, you live in a culture, you're being brought up in a culture where, where they don't value virginity and, you're, and it's somehow your sexuality is just open for whatever. No, no, no. God has a plan. There's beauty in virginity. There's beauty in this. Parents, reinforce this in your children. 
reinforce this. So first of all, Mary being a virgin spoke of her purity. But also, if you look back into the, through the Jewish law and all the complexities of the Jewish law, you'll see this, that the Bible tells us that, um, that any animal that was clean, in other words, a clean animal according to the criteria of the Jewish law would be like a, a, an oxen or a sheep or a goat. So any, any clean animal that comes forth, the firstborn the firstborn of an animal, first male born uh, of the animal was considered holy and it was consecrated for sacrificial purposes. And so the fact that, that Jesus was the firstborn male of Mary meant that he was set aside. And let me just give you another side note. Remember that on the day, on the night that Jesus was born, that the shepherds were there. Remember the shepherds, the, the angels appeared to the shepherds. Well, you know, if you look back in, in the history of, of Judaism, what you'll find was what these shepherds did was because every firstborn male of any clean animal, when it was, when it was born, it was considered holy and set apart or consecrated. So you know what they did? They carried with them, the shepherds carried with them as they were tending sheep, they knew which sheep had, which ewes had not yet given birth. They knew which ones, this would be their first time giving birth. So when a ewe had a male, a male lamb as their firstborn, the shepherds carried with them what is known as swaddling cloths. And when this firstborn male that was consecrated and set apart for sacrificial purposes was born, you know what would happen? The shepherds would wrap, would wrap them in swaddling cloths. Little did they know that in a few hours they would be at a manger and see Jesus, the firstborn of Mary, the firstborn male who was consecrated and set apart for sacrificial purposes, wrapped in swaddling clothes. There's no mistakes. There's no, listen, this isn't random. It's beautifully woven together. And so we see that, that Mary had to have this, uh, you know, she had to be a virgin. She had to be pure. That her firstborn was set apart for sacrificial purposes. But also it's very important that, that we understand that Jesus did not have a human father. If, if Mary had truly had relations with a man and was pregnant by a man, this whole thing would have fallen apart right from the beginning. Because this blood, as First Peter, as Peter describes it in the book of First Peter, it's precious. It's the precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God. And had Jesus had a natural human father, he would have inherited the same cursed blood that you and I inherited at birth. Because it's passed down through the families. So Jesus had to have a physical mother because he was coming in a physical body. And I'll show you the importance of that in the minute. But what we need to understand was his origin was not earthly. His father was not human because then human blood would course through his veins. But he didn't have the natural sin-cursed human blood that you and I deal with. He had divine blood in him. And so when Jesus holds up this, this, this cup and says, this is my blood, there's all these details involved in all this backstory. It truly is the precious spotless blood of the lamb. And, and soon he, like those grapes, would be crushed and it would pour forth. 
And he goes on to say at the end of our text, when he's, as he's describing the, the, the blood, the, the fruit of the vine, he said, this is, this is my blood. It's for a new covenant. In other words, I'm striking a new deal. I'm going to make a new deal with mankind. Now, the, the, the deal that they had been working under, what we call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the word testament means covenant. And so the old covenant that they were living under, had been living under, had full knowledge of, it was all based on works. It was all based on keeping a set of rules of doing the right thing. If you wanted to be in right standing with God, you had to keep the rules. And what's funny is if you read, read into the New Testament, you'll see God has such a, a sense of humor because he calls the, the, the law, he calls it the taskmaster. In other words, he knew it was heavy. He knew that we couldn't do it. He knew that we couldn't carry it. And therefore, we could never be in right standing with God because we couldn't keep the rules. And I don't know about you, but I've been living on this earth for 50 years. And you know what I found? Jody can't keep the rules. And so the law was in place long enough. Listen, the law was in place long enough just to show us that we can't do it. And I don't know about you, but I think there's, there's great freedom when we finally say to God, I can't do it. I give up. There's nothing in me of value. My heart is wicked just like every other person's heart. And so Jesus said, now, you know, now, now that you, you've lived under that and you know that you can't do it on your own, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. Come on now. There's going to be a new covenant. There's going to be a new way for you to be in right standing with the Father. But this new way doesn't have anything to do with how you behave. It has to do with how I behaved. Amen. Come on, somebody ought to be set free from that. So th th this, this is going to be a new covenant. And it's in my blood. So my blood brings a new deal. There's a new deal on the table. And then he goes on to say that this blood is going to bring the remission of sin. In the King James, it uses that word remission of sin. Well, if you look deeply into the Greek origin of that word, what you'll find out that that word means to be set free from imprisonment or bondage. So here's what he's saying. My blood is going to set you free from the bondage of sin. My blood is here to set you free from the imprisonment of sin. No longer are you going to be under the thumb of sin because of my blood. Amen. This is what he's saying to his friends. He's holding up this cup. And I don't know how much of it they're picking up and how much they're missing. But I know they're hearing it. So he's walking through, he, he describes the, 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 the cup to them. But the second element that we see in communion or the Lord's Supper is bread, is bread. Now, he tells us in this text that this bread is equal to his body. In other words, this bread is a picture of my body. And we know several things. First of all, Jesus had to come in flesh. He had to have a body. The son of God could not come as just spirit. He had to come as body. And one of the reasons that he had to come as body is because man had lost it and man had to redeem it. The right standing, the place that we had with God was for man and it was lost by man and a man had to redeem it or purchase it back. So the redemptive work had to be done, 
had to be done by a man. So Jesus had to come through a physical mother. He had to have a physical body. The Bible uses a term to, to, to show us that. The, the term is a kinsman redeemer. Remember the, the story of Ruth and Boaz? It was a, a woman named, named Ruth who had married into a family and this family had had a covenant with God and they had, but they had lost all their, um, all their land, all their status, all their position in the community and it had to be redeemed. Remember, our series is called Redeemed. It's about purchasing something back that had been lost and so Ruth was living without without the blessing of the covenant because it had been lost, but it was redeemed by Boaz. But the only reason Boaz could redeem what was lost is because he was kin. And we don't, we don't use that word as much as they do maybe up in the Appalachian Mountains, in my kin folk. <laughs> right? But the only reason Boaz could redeem is because he was a kinsman. He was her kinfolk. And so Jesus came in a physical body to be your kinfolk. As, as cousin Jesus. So he had to come in a physical body because man had lost it and man had to redeem it. So his body was necessary. Also, we see in the book of Hebrews, if we look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We find this, listen, this is a description of Jesus who is our high priest. We're talking about why Jesus had to come in a physical body. Here's what the passage says, Hebrews 4, 15. says, this high priest, speaking of Jesus, this high priest of ours understands our weakness for he faced all the same testings we did, yet he did not sin. Another reason Jesus had to come in this physical body was because he had to have the same human experience that you and I had. Every, every experience that makes up humanity, Jesus dealt with. Jesus dealt with every temptation that you and I deal with. Jesus was tempted to flip somebody off on a donkey in traffic. <laughs> Say ugly words. He was tempted, but he didn't sin. That's important. He didn't do it. Did you? I did. Jesus was tempted to be jealous. He didn't fall to jealousy, but did you? He experienced everything that you and I experienced. And I want to say this to you today, church. Whatever you're struggling with, Jesus has been there. Whatever you're struggling with, Jesus has been there. Jesus knows rejection. Jesus knows unfair treatment. Jesus knows hurt. Jesus knows pain. He's had the same human experience that you and I have had but he did it without sin. So he had to come in a physical body, but he also had to do it without sin. So here we are, this high priest, as Hebrews describes it. You know, the job of a priest is to stand between people and God and to mediate between. So what we have is Jesus standing between us and God the Father. And when God looks down at us and he's displeased with us, Jesus is the mediator going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. No, no, listen, I've been there, I understand. I understand. So he's that one who stands in between. 
so when Jesus at, at this supper takes this, takes this bread, he said, this is, this is my body, you know, what God's given me. And, and this thing's going to be broken. It says when he took the bread, he broke it. And that was symbolic. It was prophetic. He was telling them, this is what's going to happen to my body. And so it was really beautiful. And, but I think they probably had a little understanding that you and I don't have. And so I want to give you some information that'll, that may help bring it to a new level with you and your understanding. You see, um, Jody's got several... Uh, several hang-ups, several, you know, things that really, that really frustrate me. Um, I was with some friends last night and, um, and they showed me their, um, their nativity, you know, it's Christmas. So they had their nativity out and they called me, uh, Melinda Campbell called me over to show me that in her nativity scene, she had taken the wise men out and put them on the other side of the table. Because one of my pet peeves is the fact that the wise men aren't, weren't at the birth of Jesus. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago and she picked up on it and she knows that that's one of Jody's pet peeves. How many of you know the wise men weren't at the manger? Okay, so Jody's got these little pet peeves. Well, another one of Jody's pet peeves is this, is that when, uh, when I see people taking communion with like a big old loaf of Wonder Bread or something, or like Hawaiian rolls, or like French bread or something. Because if you know anything about if you know anything about Judaism, you know that the bread that he was holding up looked way more like a saltine cracker than a loaf of Wonder Bread. And that's just one of Jody's pet peeves. So if you take communion, and by the way, you're welcome to take communion. You know, you don't have to be a pastor or a priest or anything to lead people in communion. In fact, I think we ought to do it at our dinner tables often. But when you do it, just don't use Hawaiian rolls. Jody will get mad at you. Now, actually, what Jesus picked up and held in his hand that night um, was this. This is the bread that he was holding. It's actually called matzah. I don't know that that's how you pronounce it, but that's how you pronounce it when you're from Southwest Louisiana. Called matzah, okay? Now, the recipe for this was given to the Israelites in the book of Exodus as they were being set free from Egypt. This is the Passover bread. This is the bread that God instructed them to make and eat on the night of Passover when he was going to set them free from Egypt. And it has some very distinct qualities. That's why there's, there's beauty in this and there's symbolism in this. Everything's connected in scripture. The tapestry is there. So this is what he had in his hand. It wasn't Hawaiian rolls. He held this up. Now, matzah, matzah bread has, has very, three very distinct things you need to know about it. One is when God was commanding or giving the Israelites the recipe for this, he said, when you make this bread, make sure that you don't put any yeast in it. Remember that yeast, if, you're, if any of you watch the cooking network like me, that yeast is what makes the bread rise. He said, don't put, when you bake this bread, don't put any yeast in it because scripture tells us that yeast is symbolic of sin. So the fact that this bread doesn't have yeast in it is a picture that this bread is sinless. In fact, it's only made of two ingredients. It's made of flour and water. And as soon as they would mix the two things together, they would bake it right there. You know, again, if you watch the cooking channel, you'll know that often when dough is made, it's set aside so that it can rise 
and the yeast can activate and it can begin to rise. They, he didn't want this stuff to rise at all. There was no yeast in it, but just in case there were yeast molecules floating around that might get into it, he said, form it and then bake it right away. So the first, the, the first thing that we need to pay attention to about this matzah is it's sinless. The second thing is the way they were to cook it, it was to be baked. It was to, it was to be baked on a grate, okay? So imagine this, this open fire with this grill on the top of it, and this was to be baked this way. But what's interesting, when you cook it in this way, what happens is you end up with bread that is striped, See them? You see the, the great marks on it, the stripes on it. So what we have here, do you, is the picture forming in your head? Sinless striped. And then as it's cooking, just to make sure that nobody questions that there might be yeast in it and it would rise, as this thing was cooking, you know what they would do? They would take a fork and they would pierce it. They would, they would poke holes in it so that no air bubbles would be baked into it and it would look like it's rising, there's yeast in it. So what you end up with is a yeastless, striped, pierced piece of bread. Can somebody say amen in this place? So when he took bread, they were seeing all this. And what is he doing? He's talking about the redemptive work that he's about to do. He said this human body that came and experienced everything that you've experienced and you blew it, but I didn't because I'm sinless. Ain't no use in this. And not only was it sinless, but it was soon to be striped. And Isaiah 53 tells us that his stripes were purchasing our healing. And then it was pierced because it was our iniquities that caused him to be bruised and wounded. It was our transgressions. He's bruised and wounded and striped and pierced for us. So when Jesus holds this bread up in front of his disciples, he said, he broke it. And it's a picture that in just a few days, you're gonna see my body broken this way. But I'm not being broken because I deserve it, because I'm the one who's sinless. So what, I'm, what I'll be taking on me has nothing to do with paying for my faults. It has everything to do with paying for yours. I didn't blow it, but you did, but I'm going to the cross. My body will be broken. It's called atonement. It's called substitutionary sacrifice. So what you deserve, I'm about to take on me. And I don't know about you, but I believe in that moment, I, there was weight in that room as this thing is settling in on them and they're understanding what's happening. This was a Passover meal. They were used to this, but he was bringing new elements into it. You know, it's interesting too, just a little side note. You know that on Passover, when Jews are celebrating Passover, um, they're, to, they're to eat bread. It's part of the Seder dinner. And, and, and again, it's this matzah bread. And um, what happens is during the meal, there's this, um, there's this, this, this bag brought out. It's a linen bag. It's one bag, but inside this bag, there are three different compartments in this one bag. And one of these pieces of matzah are put into each one of those pockets inside this one bag, one bag, three, three compartments. Lights going off. 
three and one, right? So this is what's happening at a Jewish table during Passover. So they have this thing there in, the, in these, these three pieces of matzah, one in each different pocket, but all in the same container. And then sometime during the meal, the father reaches in and grabs the middle piece of matzah. Middle, father, son, Holy Spirit. And the father of the family takes the matzah and breaks it. And then the broken matzah laying next to this, this uh, bag is, is, a, is, is just one piece of, of material. And so after the father breaks this matzah, he takes the matzah, puts it in that material and he folds it up, okay? He, he folds it up, then he sends the children out of the room. So the children leave the room and dad's standing there holding this piece of broken bread that's wrapped, that's wrapped in a napkin. And after the children leave the room, History tells us that the father would then go take that and go hide it somewhere in the room. And then he'd come back and sit back down and he'd call the children in. And when the children come in, it was a game of hide and seek. And they would send the children out to go seek where the bread had been hidden. Look at this. Who broke the bread? The father, let me tell you this, the Jews didn't sacrifice Jesus. The Romans didn't take his life. It was his father. And Isaiah tells us that it pleased the father to crush his son. It was God himself breaking his own son. And then we know that after Jesus died, what happened to him? Wrapped in burial clothes. The broken bread wrapped in burial clothes. Then what happened to him? Hidden away in the earth hidden away, stone rolled in front. But the kids would go look for them. The kids would search. And the kids were taught the value of what they were searching for. This is valuable, kids. Search with all your heart. Seek with all diligence because there's great value in what you're seeking for. And the one who found it, the child who found it, was rewarded greatly. It's a picture of Jesus. They would, they would find it. They would bring it back to the Father and the bread was resurrected. I'm telling you, church, there's power in this. There's beauty in this. This isn't coincidental. Don't let anybody talk you out of your faith. God is in control of this thing. It is interwoven. It is interwoven through history, through this planet, God. So Jesus here on this night with his disciples teaching them, bringing revelation and life to the fact that his blood was going to be spilt. His body was going to be broken and he was, he was ushering in a new covenant. And so when we as a church take communion, God help us if we do it flippantly, especially after today, because now you have knowledge and understanding that you may not have had but may we never, ever again approach communion without passion, without depth and reverence and awe for what it is that we are doing. So with this in mind, I encourage you, I invite you, grab your communion elements and I'm gonna ask the worship team to come out and I want you and I, we're gonna take communion together. I wanna lead you in this process. Grab your communion elements, open it up. Let's look back through the word 
and find out what Jesus said to us in that moment. If we can put our text there, Matthew 26, back up on the screen, read with me and let's do exactly what scripture tells us to do. Verse 26 says, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Would you take the bread with me? And I, I've told you before, I really like to break it. And so you may just want to break it in your hand. The Bible said that Jesus blessed it. Isn't this interesting? Because he blessed it. This was a picture that his body was about to be broken, but still he blessed it. And if he blesses it, we ought to for sure bless it. Amen. Amen. So with you, would you just bow your head quietly to where you are? And would you just thank him that his life was broken for you, that his body was broken for you? Lord, we are so grateful. We are so grateful, Lord. I need your life because I don't do it right, Lord. I need, I need you. I need you. I need what you have done for me. And I give thanks for your willingness to go and die in my place. I consider this bread blessed and a picture of my true commitment and covenant with you. And I thank you for the opportunity in Jesus' name. Take the bread. You reading with me in our text. It says he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of a new testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Would you take the cup? What we know full well, this is just grape juice. This is just grape juice. But we know that Jesus, through the shedding of his blood, has brought freedom from bondage, freedom from imprisonment, entrance into a new life through the covenant that he has made with us. And to that we say an eternal thank you. Would you bow your heads and just thank the Lord for the blood? Come on, you do it, church. You do it. Tell him thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that I can be sinless, righteous, whole through the blood of Jesus that was shed for me. I give you thanks and praise, Lord. In Jesus' name, take the cup.